Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Hallelujah. I've decided next week uh, when you enter, strictly based on the temperature, we'll be providing white gloves and little fold-out fans uh, like the church mothers used to have all the time. Uh, hallelujah. How y'all doing? Everybody doing good today? Other than being hot? It's okay. I understand. I was over there trying to conserve my energy a little bit because I know it's about to get... Well, we're not going to talk about that, but anyway... I'm glad you're here. So thankful for all that the Lord is doing. Thanks, man. You're good. Hallelujah. All right. So we're going to start. Um, we'll, we'll start in Matthew 16 here in just a little bit. But I'm, I'm going to talk to you today. Um, I really had a desire to to not attempt to come and, um, you know, just do a sermon. I, I tried a long time ago to stop doing sermons and uh, only do messages if I had something to say. And um, I want to talk to you today about uh, some kingdom concepts that I think are necessary. Um, One of the things that, that I have attempted to do, and I'm hoping that, that we're establishing a culture here, is that we're not just a people who are proficient at telling Bible stories. I've been in a lot of places and, and uh, you know, even spent some time early on in my ministry attempting to be the best Bible storyteller you know, as a communicator. And, and so I really, really have no desire to be proficient at just telling Bible stories. I really want to know what it means to live this thing. I really do. And uh, so, so I want to talk today about some concepts um, that, that I believe are connected to the kingdom. Some years ago, man, I don't even know, 12, maybe 13 years ago, somewhere around there, the Lord really began to talk to me about the kingdom. And um, he was talking to me about some stuff that I was learning and I'm still learning. You know, when, when I talk about this stuff, I hope everybody understands that I am absolutely still in process trying to navigate what all this looks like. And um, so I I looked at, I was telling Rebecca, I looked at some notes from whenever that time was, and it's so funny to look at my notes. Do you, you preachers, do y'all ever go back and look at notes from like years and years ago? And I had to wade through so much stuff that I would never in the world consider saying right now that was in my notes, some 13 or 14, and I mean, I sit there and just laugh at myself because I'm like... I've really said that. Matter of fact, I said that with a suit and a tie on and couldn't even hardly move, you know, because that's just what it was. Uh, nothing wrong with suit and tie. I love that, but uh, I'm just thankful I don't have to wear that every week anymore. Um, so anyway, deciphering through all of that, the Lord really was trying to teach me some stuff about the kingdom. And um, so I want to talk about some concepts connected to where I feel like we are and, and what we are doing. And, and um, I really want to, I want to 
hopefully provoke some conversation. Uh, I, I, I want to hear, I, tonight would be an amazing time when we get around and, and we just sit and, and talk about some of the stuff that I feel like the Lord is saying. I want to know what the Lord is saying to you. So, so I'm hoping that this will provoke some, some conversation and, and um, I don't know, there may, you may want to jot a note or something down uh, to remember it by. But um, anyway, I, I'm going to talk to you about some kingdom concepts. Excellence in the kingdom is more related to the way that that you see the king than it is about us making all the right moves and doing all the right things. Excellence, I want you to catch that. Excellence in the kingdom is more related to the way you see the king than it is your ability to do everything right. Now, here's what I want to say. We have to listen to the things of the king. Honestly, the reason that I believe that that um, the Pharisees missed the message of the kingdom. The reason I believe that it has eluded me for most of my life is because you have to have mature ears to listen to the kingdom. And that's why I say I'm in process. I'm, I'm not there fully yet. He's maturing me because when I say something like that, when I say that excellence is the kingdom is more connected to the way that you see the king, then it, it almost could sound like I'm alleviating the fact that we have to do anything in regard to bearing fruit. And that's not true. That's not true. And, and so that's why I say we have to hear with mature ears. And, and so um, we, we, we have to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The reason that I believe that that statement is so true, that excellence in the kingdom is more related to the way we see the king than it is us making all the right moves or doing all the right things, is because some people strive for perfection in always doing something. And here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter what field you are in. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're talking about the kingdom, you're talking about your secular job, whatever it is. Excellence is always sustainable and perfection is never sustainable. Excellence is always sustainable. Perfection is never sustainable. You'll drive yourself crazy and everybody around you crazy. If Can I just get an amen right there? If you think that you're going to sustain perfection in every area. I'm talking about you will drive people nuts. That's why I say that excellence in the kingdom is more related to how you see the king because that's sustainable to have a correct perception of who he is. It's sustainable to have a correct perception of who he is and what he's doing more than it is my ability to make the right scorecard so that it would allow me to see him correctly. Let's, let's go to Matthew 16. Let me show you this. So, so those of you that, that have been with us for a few weeks, you know, I've been talking about uh, post-resurrection narratives. I've, I've been talking about the power in our life that, that we're supposed to display after resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. And, and so we're, we're really staying on this same theme, but we're, we're moving into some stuff that, that really, I believe, is going to help us impact culture. Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 19, should be a very familiar scripture to you. Um, this one is, of course, out of the Passion Translation. Would Jesus Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question, what are the people saying about me, the son of man? Who do they believe I am? They answered, some are convinced you're John the baptizer. Others say you're Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asks them, who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, calls him Simeon, son of Jonah, for all you King James and New King James, Simon Bar-Jonah. Don't y'all love that? Wouldn't you like to have Bar in your name? Simon Bar-Jonah. Okay. Tough crowd today. Wow. Y'all, y'all really hot, aren't you? You did not discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I want you to listen to what Jesus is calling out of Peter. First of all, he's letting him know, hey, listen, you didn't get this on your own. This was something that happened as a result of partnership with my Father in heaven, okay? He revealed it to you. Because you can see me correctly, I'm going to change your name. That's really what happens right here. I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven, to release on earth that which is released in heaven. This is so powerful to me because just a few verses after this, Jesus rebukes that very same guy. He rebukes the very same guy because Peter says, there's no way I would let you go to the cross. I'll go with you to die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You can only see through the eyes of man. What? You just told me, Jesus, because see, that's what I would do. That's exactly how I would respond to Jesus in that. No, 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 no. You just told me, and I would recite to him verbatim what he said. That what had been revealed, look, my wife's shaking her head. Yes, he would. What had been revealed to me came as a result of supernatural discernment from the Father. And now you're telling me that the only way that I can see is through man's eyes and you've rebuked me. Why would Jesus do this in this moment? First of all, I want you to catch this, that he releases keys to Peter, kingdom keys, The keys to the kingdom realm of authority are released as a result of seeing the king correctly. The whole conversation starts because Jesus asked Peter, how do you see me? And he said, you are the son of the living God. He had a correct perception of who he was. Jesus immediately, I want you to catch this because we, this has been preached for years and years and years. And we're like, you're the son of the living God on this rock, on Peter, because he's so, I will build my church. No, 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 no. want you to listen to what Jesus is really saying. Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the son of the living God. Okay. Now I have something to work with. That's really what Jesus is saying. Now I have something to work with. And the bedrock of this foundation right here, just the fact that you can see me correctly with everyone around me. Notice what he said first. He said, who do people say that I am? It's the culture influencing who Jesus is in your life. It's the culture influencing who you perceive him to be in every situation. I love what Rebecca said a while ago, that his goodness is never predicated upon my circumstances. But culture tells us all the time that God's only good if he's doing things for me the way that I want it when I want it. 
I don't want a God that only functions based on my intellect and my ability to work something out, right? And so he asked Peter, he's like, man, listen, who, who are people saying that I am? Well, they think you're a prophet. They think you're, you know, you're pretty cool. Maybe you're John the Baptist. Well, Peter, who am I? Who do you think that I am? You're the son of the living God. And he says, okay, I've got something to work with now. Now I can do some stuff. And based on that little thing right there, do you see that? The littlest thing, Jesus goes into this prophetic discourse of, I'm going to release to you keys to the kingdom. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you some legal authority on earth as it is in heaven that whatever is bound on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is what's loosed in heaven. And Jesus just begins to unload on what he's going to give Peter only because Peter said, hey, listen, this is who you are. I can see you rightly. Here's what I love about this. Peter's not living it out though. Peter's not living it out. And see what happens in the church culture, and this is really why we have not affected the culture outside of the church is because in the church culture, everything is based upon, do you have it all right, right in this moment? Are, Are you doing everything right, right now? Are you making every right decision right now? And Jesus says, listen, I'm okay with this. Here's what I love about this. Jesus is about to rebuke Peter because he can't see things correctly. And just a little while later, he's going to tell Peter, you're going to deny me. And Jesus, in this teaching moment, knows those very things are coming and still says, I am willing to take a chance on Peter because he can see me correctly. Does that mess with anybody? That, that, I, I mean, seriously, this whole Luke 22 concept of, of Jesus saying, Peter, I have prayed for you. So whenever, so, so, so here's just some, some hermeneutics, homiletics, whatever you want to say. The way that you study the word, yeah. I'm so glad to have my boys back home. You don't even understand. So, so, so every time you see Jesus repeat something, he's emphasizing what he's repeating. Okay? You know, verily, verily, I say unto you right? He's repeating something. So in in this verse, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, he says, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Daniel, Daniel. That's what he's doing. I need you to get this, okay? And I can just imagine the conversation that Jesus is having. You know, he's just chill. Seriously. Listen, man, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. How many of you would run around the room right then when Jesus told you that he prayed for you, that your faith wouldn't, you, I, I don't even care what he says after that, just to be quite honest. Jesus has prayed for me, that my faith would not fail, right? Satan has sought to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. Hallelujah. Did you see that, boys? He just prayed for me that my faith would not fail. The next thing out of Jesus' mouth has ruined my life for the last month and a half. Seriously. When you turn back to me, I want you to lead your brothers. No, 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 no. Hold up. You, Jesus, the Messiah, son of the living God, remember the conversation we just had? I told you who you were, that you're not one one of the regular guys. You remember that? 
you've prayed for me. The devil's come at me. He's, he's been at me. You remember David and I used to talk about this lady. She stand up and testify. She said, the devil's been on my back all week. Praise his holy name. <laughs> Don't go together, but anyway, you just prayed for me, Jesus. You told me that the enemy was after me, but you've prayed for me so that my faith wouldn't fail. And then Jesus says, when you turn back to me, what? I'm trying to get you to understand this concept of the kingdom, that Jesus is so solidified on what he knows about Peter prior to Peter even being born and what he knows about Peter post-resurrection and the power that's coming, that he is not intimidated by the fact that Peter is human and is going to fail. And so he tells him, listen, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. After you mess up and you come back to me, because that's what you're going to do. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You're going to deny me three times, actually. When you come back to me, and here's what he says. This is, this is what happens. I want you to lead your brothers. In other words, I want you to lead this whole thing. Now, listen, most of us come from an environment where if you mess up, you've got to set out for at least a year, year and a half, because that's, you know, seriously, you need to, you need to come up here and confess in front of the church of what you've done, sin and all this stuff. Listen, and what we did is we perpetuated this culture inside of the church that was contrary to the kingdom. And so now we're missing, we're missing the authority that could be released because of the kingdom, but we're also missing winning the culture out here because we don't really, understand what Jesus is saying to us. He's never been afraid of our sin because he's so convinced that his blood would pay for everything and he's so convinced that the power that would be released at resurrection is enough to sustain Peter in excellence. Watch this. What did I say excellence is? It's your ability to see the king, right? So Peter denies Jesus prior to the encounter of the Holy Spirit. After resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit comes to Peter. Peter goes and stands in front of the Sanhedrin after preaching one of the greatest messages ever preached. 3,000 people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. The Sanhedrin says, go get him. We're going to lock him up. You've got to stop preaching, Peter. And Peter Peter says this. He says, listen, the only thing I would ask is that we pray for more courage and boldness because when I leave here, I'm still going to go preach the gospel of Jesus because I've been convinced based on what I see in this man. And that, my friend, is sustainable. The way that I perceive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is sustainable. My perfection, my ability to be right, my ability to be perfect in every way is not sustainable. And it was never supposed to do, be that. But watch this. What happens is it is the love relationship of how I see that man that keeps me from wanting to move into all of the other junk that I used to be a part of. It's not permission to continue to mess up over and over again. It's permission to go deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the man Jesus. Man, this gets me jacked up. I'm telling you. When you come back to me, what? every failure. And that's just not passion translation. <laughs> it's just not passion translation. Go look at the original one. No, the King James isn't the original either. I don't have to even say that in this church though, for real. Guys, this blows my mind. I, I, I don't even know. Charlotte, I don't even know how to preach sermons like I used to just based off that revelation right there.
I don't know how to put stuff together anymore based on that revelation right there. I've prayed for you. When you come back to me, what, you mean you're not afraid of my failure? Absolutely not. You're not going to sit me out? Absolutely not. You're not going to push me into something other than what you have called me out of? Absolutely not. I see what I have spoken over you. I see what it is after my power comes on you, and I'm not a bit nervous. As a matter of fact, nothing has been revoked. Remember the keys that I gave you? You're going to operate in those keys even more healthy now because I am giving you power. I... I'm, I'm, seriously. Jesus looks at Peter. He looks at Peter. Daniel's helping me out today. I don't know if you can tell. He didn't even know it. He looks at Peter, knowing the denial is coming, knowing he's about to rebuke him, knowing Peter's going to cut dude's ear off, knowing Peter's going to cuss out the little girl when he denies him. I'm, I'm talking about Peter. Peter was a whole dude for real. He knows every bit of that, and he withholds nothing. He knows every bit of that and withholds nothing. He knows every bit of that and withholds nothing. 50 days, 50 days after denial, Peter's leading the church. 50 days after denial, Peter is leading the church. And some of you are sitting in here today and you're still paying a price for your past because you're letting the enemy beat your brains in. You're letting the enemy tell you every day that you're not good enough and you didn't make it. And I just want to stand here today as a father in this house. And I just want to say, listen, when you turn back, we've got things that need to happen and you've got destiny on your life that needs to be released. When you turn back, we're not afraid of failure. We don't want you to stay in it. We don't want you to wallow in it. And it's not okay to continue in that junk. But when you come back, there is destiny that has to be released as a result of your mouth. There are people that have to come to the kingdom as a result of your mouth. And I'm telling you, Jesus is not afraid of your past. Stop letting the enemy lie to you and tell you that you have to stay out of commission. This is a kingdom concept. It's not a church concept. It's not a church concept. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he had nothing like what we call church in mind. I love that Brian Simmons says, I will build my church, comma, my legislative assembly. The word ecclesia, that's what he was doing. I've taught you that before. We can talk about it again another time. But I want you to understand, Jesus was not talking about my group of people that get together on Sunday and come together for a prayer meeting on Wednesday and every once in a while have a potluck dinner. That's what I'm building. He didn't pay for that, guys. Can we just all agree on that. That's not what he paid for. I'm not saying I dislike any of that. I love that we come together. I love prayer meeting. I love that we're having a potluck tonight. I love every single bit of that down to the smoked baked beans that I'm bringing tonight. That's the best response I've gotten all morning. Seriously. I love every bit of that. But if we limit 
what Jesus paid for to that expression of Christianity, we have missed the boat. And more than that, we've missed a culture that needs to know what the kingdom looks like on earth as it is in heaven. Ah, so Peter, I've prayed for you that you may remain faithful. You're going to fail. Does that bring freedom to anybody else? Peter, the great intercessor, the one who is at the right hand of the Father right now, whose eyes like fire and hair like wool, has prayed for you. You're going to fail. But when you do, that same intercessor that is standing there is faithful and just to forgive you, and he's going to restore you immediately. In 50 days after this thing, you're going to lead the whole thing. Microphone. Hallelujah. Okay. This was, this was Jesus trying to let his disciples know what the kingdom is like. Everything is done by order of the king. Okay. Now, I told you I just want to talk about concepts, so this may not even flow, but here we go anyway. I want to talk to you about, you, you've heard us talk a lot about the apostolic revival and family, right, or community. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna give you some clarity on that stuff because sometimes we're like, oh yes, we, our church, we're apostolic and prophetic, what's it mean? Well, you know, and then because we had, and over there we were, and yeah, you wanna come? So I wanna give us some clarity to what that really looks like, okay? The apostolic is not what you achieve to after you come to some higher level rank in ministry. It's, it's not that you're, you know, usher, deacon, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and now you're apostle. That's, that's, that, that's not how it works. That's how it's been twisted because people didn't understand it. You understand that, right? Okay. All right. Kingdom concept. I want you to get this in your mind. Apostolic revival community. And I'm going to say family. But ark sounds better than arf. So <laughs> apostolic revival community slash family. Okay. Okay. Apostolic. What does that mean? That's really what I want to focus on today, but I'm going to talk to you about all three briefly. I'm halfway through my notes already. This is good. Okay. What does it mean to be an apostolic people? It means that my focus is on impacting the culture to look like the kingdom. My focus is on impacting the culture to look like the kingdom. Well, no, I, I thought apostolic was that one denomination that's, you know, Jesus only and oneness or whatever. Being an apostolic people doesn't happen just because you get together and say, okay, listen, Jesus built the church on apostles and prophets, and so this other thing hasn't been working, so now we're apostolic and prophetic people. It doesn't work that way. There has to be some fruit behind what you say. And this is really important. I know apostolic is a real Christianese word, but I hope to break this down to where you really understand that we need to be nothing other than an apostolic people. We need to be a people that are so bent on impacting culture to look like the kingdom 
than we are anything else. Anything else, okay? So, now, the Romans, and, and it's mixed in with this whole ecclesia message that, that you guys have heard me talk about before. The, the Roman culture, were con- they were the baddest army around back in the day, and they were conquering nations over and over and over again. And what happened is they got to a point to where they realized they would conquer a nation, but after a certain period of time, they would have to go back and reconquer that nation because it did not look like Rome, and it had reverted back to what it was prior to Rome conquering that country, right? Okay? So, So they have this idea... And this is, it's a, it was a Greek word. Apostolos is a Greek word. It, it literally means sent ones, okay? That's, that's what it literally means. And so they have this idea, listen, it's getting kind of dumb for me to continue to conquer a nation and then in about five more years have to conquer that nation again, that same one. And maybe in another 10 years have to conquer that nation again. So what we're going to do is we're going to send an apostolic people from Rome so that when we conquer the nation, we're going to send in educators. We're going to send in people who are in the financial community. We're going to send in people in religion. We're going to send in people in arts and entertainment. And we're going to move them into this country that we conquer so that they will begin to look like Rome, which is who sent the apostolic company into the nation that they conquered, right? It's really where we get the idea when in Rome do as the Romans. Exactly. And so what they did is they, they, they began to function as an apostolic people that after they conquered a nation, they would then send people in. They would then send in a delegation to begin to transform that nation to look like Rome. This is really what Jesus is talking about to his 12 apostles. On this foundation of you being able to see me correctly, I am going to build my legislative assembly, my apostolic people that will then transform culture to look like the kingdom, right? But somewhere along the line, we found out that it would work better, not really, but that's what we said, if we just come together and hover around the idea that one day we get to go to heaven. Right? Okay. I'm trying to hurry, guys. I know everybody's hot. Okay. Let me just, I'll give this a little more and then we'll just stop for the day, okay? And we'll pick it up next week. All right. It's really important that you understand. Let me say this about us being an apostolic family. What are the primary core values of awakening, becoming an apostolic family in the culture? There's three of them. Absolutely. Prayer, presence, family. Prayer, presence, family. We want you to take prayer, the presence of God, and family into every sphere of society that you are involved in. That's, that's what we're looking like. That is becoming an apostolic people, okay? That's what it is. Okay, revival, real quick. Revival is not a period of time where we stimulate the church into temporary fruit production. 
It is not where we stimulate the church into temporary fruit production. It's about literally restoring the image of God to the earth as it is in heaven. That's what revival is. Listen, we've made revival about great services. We've made revival about periods of time. We've made revival, all of these different things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if the image of God is not restored to the earth, that is not truly revival. It's not about stimulating the church. It's not. All right, what's community and family? It's the mission that Jesus brought to recapture the family atmosphere from the garden. Period. This is why he taught his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. And his first words were, our Father. He didn't say somewhere up in heaven. He didn't say, listen, oh great eternal God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac. And he didn't do any of that stuff. He said, our Father. Who art in heaven? He did say who art in heaven. I don't have time to teach you that he was not suggesting that he's somewhere away untouchable. But that's not what he was saying. Okay. All right. So the apostolic revival community, apostolic revival family, I want to ask you this question. What culture is being created for the generations to come right now? What culture is being created for the generations to come? Okay, I'm going to read this and then I'm, I'm totally done. We sometimes struggle with kingdom reality because we still think we get a vote. Maybe I should just stop right there. Seriously. We struggle with kingdom reality because we still think we get a vote. There is not a democracy in kingdom. I'm going to show you there's not even a democracy in our nation. You think there is. The majority does not rule in America. The majority does not rule. How can you say that? 3% of the population right now, the LGBTQ community, is driving the, the agenda of our nation. That is not the majority, but they're absolutely driving just about everything that happens in our nation. You can believe it if you want to, or you can say, no, it's not true, but I'm telling you, 3% of our population is what's ruling the agenda that's moving forward in our nation with political correctness. And they're going after your children. They're going after generations to come. They're coming after your workplace. They're coming after all of this stuff. 3%. That's what's doing it. Ooh, I feel. I feel that in my shondo right there. Seriously. I really do. And that has nothing to do with us not loving them because I love them. Because here's what I'm saying. If they are that powerful, what would they do if they were in the kingdom? How would they transform the culture to look like kingdom if they were really serving the real king of kings and the Lord of lords? And so what happens is we struggle with kingdom reality because we think we get a vote. And we think that the democracy is going to rule out, but it's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. There's one king that's ruling. And he's so patient and he's so good that this is how he rules. This is how the king rules. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. When you turn back to me, I want you to lead this thing. He rules with grace. He rules with justice. And yes, I know he rules with a rod of iron. I know all the scriptures. I know them probably more than I would like to know those particular scriptures. 
because that's what was highlighted. What wasn't highlighted was that that rod of iron and all of that other stuff is not made for his people. Guys, you're not judged the same way that the world is judged. But we have taken that judgment on us. How can you say that, Ryan? Because I'm not living the way that the world is living. I'm living based on kingdom concepts. Jesus came and he said, listen, you say that if your enemy offends you, that you are going to do evil for evil, basically is what he said. He doesn't say those exact words, but you understand what I'm saying. You're going to go do whatever, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There we go. I knew it'd come to me. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you a different philosophy. If they hit you on one side, turn the other side and offer that one also. Oh, my goodness. Now he just wants us to lay down. And no, 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 no. He's saying that if you have this concept in your mind, first of all, you're probably not going to get into those kind of situations in the first place because you're going to have a different heart than them. But when you do, you're not going to approach it the same way. Listen, there's no chance you come up and you just hit me in the mouth that I'm just going to stand there and be like, oh, man, that was awesome. Here, let's do it again. No, that's not how it happens. That's not what Jesus was saying. He's trying to talk about concepts and kingdom mindsets that says, I'm not going to be totally ruled. I'm not going to be ruled, period, by my emotions. And so if you do that, I'm going to be so collected that I'm going to be like, okay, it's whatever. Here's the other side, too. It's foreign, guys. It's foreign to what we have been taught and what we know. But I'm telling you, Jesus' message was so... I mean, they killed the dude, right? In three and a half years of preaching this message, it was too much. No, you're done. We got to crucify you. But we have spent so much time, instead of trying to change culture, we've spent so much time closing ourselves in to what this looks like and what we think it should look like based on what's been passed down to us from generation to generation. And then we complain about the world getting darker and darker. Listen, I've been there. I've done that. I, I, I literally have, have, oh my goodness, the world's getting darker. Jesus must be coming back. Where do we get that theology? He said, you're a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. Here's the great thing, guys. If the world gets darker and darker, light has to get brighter and brighter to expose it. Okay. So 3% of the population is dictating the world's agenda. Ultimately, this and other things that have become drivers of culture because we have not been an apostolic people. Here's what I want to say, and I'm done. The kingdom, the opposite of kingdom is religion. The opposite of kingdom is religion. Religion is fueled by the needs of man. I'll show this to you next week. Religion is fueled by the needs of man. And I'm going to even mess with you Bible scholars. Religion in its purest form is still driven by the needs of man. Pure religion undefiled is taking care of widows and orphans. Absolutely, it sure is. It's driven by the needs of man. But a kingdom reality is such that there's abundance that happens that there's no chance that widows and orphans who are in our company could ever be in need and need anything else. Okay, I'm really gonna stop, but we'll pick it up next week. Okay, it's hot. Listen, here's what I wanna do. I wanna do a fire tunnel right now. (laughs) 
and I want to do a Jericho march right now. And I'm going to lay hands on every one of you sweaty hands. Yeah, I'm joking. Let's stand. <laughs> I really hope that you all could hear what I'm saying today. I, I, I know that there was some humor and, and we said some crazy stuff. But I really hope you can hear that there's some kingdom concepts that the Lord's wanting to give to us and release to us today that we've got to learn to walk in. Amen. Father, we just ask that you would seal this in us tonight. God, we just ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would so overshadow us, that you would so impact our hearts and our minds to know exactly what it is that you are uprooting, exactly what it is that you're planting, exactly what it is that you want us to be as an apostolic people in culture. God, I'm asking that you would release a grace for us to impact culture, to mirror the kingdom. God, that we would take prayer, presence, and family into every sphere of society. God, that we would begin to take supernatural signs and wonders as an apostolic people into society to see the culture transformed. And God, I pray right now for the 3% of our population that is driving an agenda in America. And I pray for encounters with the love of the Father right now in their lives. I pray that you would open their hearts to receive love like never before in the name of Jesus, that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit over their lives right now. Send mothers and fathers into their lives to speak identity into them. Give mothers and fathers a grace to love them like they've never known it before in the name of Jesus. I'm asking that we would begin to realize our identity as people who impact culture. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.